0: May I say to you, I'm glad to be with you as well this morning. I guess he got me back for that Nebraska thing, didn't he? When Pastor Chuck called me and asked me if I would be willing to, since he was just coming back from vacation, to spend some time with you this morning up here, I have to admit that something came to my mind. Having been born in Chicago and some formative years near Wrigley Field, I am a diehard Cub fan, follow them closely, and at least on two occasions this year, the game got so extended that the manager, Joe Madden, was running out of pitchers. And so he'd call up to the bullpen and say, who do we have to go in? Nobody. We've used them. The game was going into extended innings. He looked down the bench and he saw, well, who hasn't been in the game? And down at the end of the bench sitting all by himself was the backup catcher. I'm not going to tell you what the outcome of those games were, (laughs) but I am glad to be with you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have to open your word. Thank you that by inspiration, the Apostle John has given us this book and specifically these verses today to ponder. May your word burn into our hearts. And Lord, I would be remiss if I did not pray this morning for the people who have been impacted over this last week by these three heinous hate crimes and shootings. Lord, we pray for their families and all those impacted. Lord, we know that uh, even uh, these things that have come to us Bring greater rise to what we're going to look at in your word this morning. I pray for these all. Please send your peace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. When I first thought about putting some words together today, it was just right after the California shooting that happened about a week ago. Senseless, heinous hate crime. Little did I know that there would be yesterday's events that would also give rise to some of the things that are going on in our country and sometimes events even in our own city. Not quite as heinous, but still giving uh, credence to the kinds of things that are going on was something I read about on the East Coast here recently where In a Burger King, an employee took a large bill from a customer and, as they're trained to do, held it up, you know, to see if it was a good printed money. It so enraged that customer that he came over the counter and attacked the employee. Clearly, anger and hatred had simmered below the surface and it started long before that individual went into that Burger King or Walmart or the other places that we've heard about this last week. The employee paid the price, the people, the families, they paid the price for that anger that simmered below the surface. It's important for us to grasp what's taking place in the world so that we know how to live and how to respond As believers, hatred has become the standard of the age. The tensions we see in our country are symptoms of a much deeper reality, are they not? You know, I'm old enough to remember the 60s and the tumultuous times we had then. Frankly, I don't think it compares with what we see today the more we understand the essence of human nature and the human conflict, the more we will understand what the Apostle John was trying to teach us in this scripture today. When cruelty and selfishness and hatred rule the day, love is hard to cultivate. And yet, please hear me, that love has never been more important For us to practice. The question I posed in the title is the first of several that we will look at today in this passage. John answers some of the questions and some he doesn't. The passage lends itself to one of those who, what, where, when, and how kinds of searchable mysteries. As we read the passage together in a moment, I can say without reservation. If the Apostle John was here before us today, saying the things that he says in the scripture we're going to look at, his candor and directness would be so almost offensive to take us back. As we read together, I remind you, he's no backup catcher. This is John the Apostle who was there with Jesus all the time during his ministry. This is John who was called the one that Jesus loved. This is John that at the crucifixion, Jesus looked at him and said, take care of my mother. This is the same John that was on the Mount of Transfiguration when Elijah and Moses showed up. This is the author of the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation by inspiration from God. And just as an aside, in case you didn't already know this, James and John, the apostles, their father was Zebedee, and their mother was a woman by the name of Salome, and most Bible scholars believe that she was the sister of of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Jesus was a first cousin of John, who we're hearing from. You can check it out on your own. Clearly, he's not the backup catcher. And now that we know who we're hearing from this morning, let's read the scripture together. If you can see that big enough, read it with me. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Let's approach this who, what, where, why question, mystery, beginning in verse 11. John says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. He answers the question of the message. It's that we love one another. But he uses this phrase that we have heard from the beginning. And he uses it ten times in two books. Two letters. What's this beginning all about? What's he talking about? An examination of those ten passages will bring you to the conclusion, Un unquestionably, that he's talking about our conversion to Christianity through trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, having taken away our sin at the cross, and by his resurrection become our Savior. Do you remember that new beginning for you when you trusted Christ and, and all of a sudden things begin to change? Didn't they? You began to think differently. Ever since grade school, I had a real close buddy, good friend, best friend through the years. We did everything together during high school and even when we were home with each other in college years. We were even each other's best men at our weddings. We used to joke that we floated through the gutters together and did a lot of things our parents wouldn't have been proud of. When I went off to college, and by the time I was getting to my senior year, Barb and I had gotten engaged, and and we were going to be married. And and she and some of her friends at Campus Crusade for Christ began to pray for me. I had a fraternity brother who also went home one summer, came back, and all he wanted to talk about was Jesus. Well, the combination of all this got me to thinking: uh, I must I must not be a Christian. And I asked Jesus Christ to be my savior. Things began to change. The new beginning began. Needless to say, when I went home for that spring break, and I knew I would see my buddy Chuck, I am thinking, how in the world am I going to tell him what I've done? This newfound faith. I have to admit that I was a little concerned that the friendship was about to be over. Well, as was our typical time together, one night we were in his parents' car riding the loop. I assume you young people still do that. <laughs> but his parents' car was, was a 1965 Impala station wagon. Green. <laughs> Hardly impressed the girls, you know, so... We're driving around Morningside in Sioux City at the time. And, and I'm thinking, how oh, in the world am I going to tell him? I'm trying to get up the nerve to tell him what I've done. And I remember where we were going around the curve in what we called Peter's, Peter's Park. And I finally said, oh, well, I asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. <laughs> he looked over at me, took his eyes off the road. I don't know how he stayed on the road with a look that was just like he'd seen a ghost. And he said, so did I. (laughs) Well, that began. His fiance, Barb and I, we got together a dinner and we called in all our friends so that we could tell them about the newfound faith we have in Christ. And it was a It was a transitional time for my friendship. And to to this day, we're good friends, but it's centered in our love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Life and the way we thought changed radically, and we began to love the things we'd never loved before. When the Holy Spirit came in and lived within us, we now had a new receiver on the inside that we could begin to understand what God expected of his own people. Unless that took place, there's no reason to believe that we would be any, any different than what we see out there in the world today. Just like all the radio and telephone waves that are coming into this room and none of us know, what, you know where they're going. And Unless you have your phone on and you're getting a text from someone in your designated device, you'll know it, but I wouldn't know it. That's the beginning that John is talking about. The Holy Spirit beginning to teach us the way life is to be intended. Because we now have that receiver within us. The next question I want us to look at is in verse 11 is, Who is you? You is you and me. But it is only meant for who? Kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing, doesn't it? You is believers. In time of war and in espionage, the way that things are communicated are through secret codes. We're told that the turning point in World War II came when the British uh, cracked the Nazi secret code Enigma. Recently, there was a movie out called *Imitation Game* that brought that that uh, fact back to our attention. If we have the receiver, the Holy Spirit on the inside, we now have the ability to get the secret codes. And that's what John is relating about having the message from the very beginning that we would now know what that message is because we heard it as part of our new life. What was the message? Again, love one another. And that's the secret to change the course of the war that we find ourselves in. Well, there's still another question to be answered in this verse. Who is this one another? Do you know that 58 times in the New Testament that term is used, one another? And in those 58 times, it refers back to 12 different actions that we as believers, fellow believers, are to be engaged in. Specific activities that would enable the body of Christ to function effectively and grow spiritually. We're to be members one of another, devoted to one another, honoring one another, accepting, admonishing, greeting, serving, being of the same mind towards one another, Bearing each other's burdens, submitting, encouraging, praying, and yes, here today, loving one another. That's a big list, and I'm not sure I have the time to do it all, or so we say. You know, I've found that this church, Westchester Church, is a a loving church. Ready to meet needs and to pray. Lots of examples. In fact, this week I was with a Des Moines educator and, and... it made me feel good to be able to tell them about what we were doing for educators at, at, at Hoover and, and how the students uh, were, were fed uh, pancakes and, and the other things. I could have cited many more examples of, of how we've met each other's needs within this body. But could it be that God is wanting to move us to an even deeper level together? Again, what is the message we've had from the beginning? It is to love one another. Question. What kind of love are we talking about here? I love pineapple pie. And mountain biking and hiking and, yeah, the cubs. Is that the kind of love we're talking about? No, that's language confusion. That's, straying from the true meaning of the word. And I think that's what makes English sometimes hard to learn for for others. What that means is I enjoy eating pineapple pie. I do not love it. But as an aside, if you'll make me a pineapple pie, I might love you. (laughs) The New New Testament uses two words for, for love that could be considered here. The first is one you are familiar with, I know. It's agape, the Greek word agape. It refers to the highest form of love, charity, the love of God for man and man for God. The word is not to be confused with phileo, which is a brotherly love for the type that you might have with a close friendship like I I shared earlier. This is where the, the city of Philadelphia got its name. It's the city of brotherly love. And while it's a great city, if you go there, just in case you go there, you might want to be careful where you go because not everybody got this message there. Agape, however, embraces a universal, unconditional love that transcends and it persists regardless of circumstances, It goes beyond just the emotional feelings of love to the extent extent of seeking the best for others. The unconditional love does not ask for anything in return. It demonstrates the kind of love that is only possible because God loved us. He is the essence of love, and we are made in His image, so we are to love. Why does it seem like there's so many unloving people? You know, love is sometimes easy. Think about the love of a newborn baby or a puppy. A couple of weeks ago, we had a baby dedication for little Layla. She just left the the auditorium. For Mike and Laura Beth, their new one. She's so easy to to love, looking into those beautiful eyes and having her look back. I saw you doing that a few minutes ago, Dan. Do you know that I went to a conference a while back where the expert was teaching on the developing mind. Do you know that a baby in the first 24 months can use up to 300 times a day that interaction that I saw Dan having there? That interaction says, I'm glad to be with you. Now you know why we wanted you to say, I'm glad to be with you. Once their love bucket is full, that baby will turn their head away. And we've all seen that. We've experienced that, haven't we? Not many people have their love bucket full, however. I'm glad to be with you. It's easy to love people who love us and agree with us. Not so easy to love others, especially when they don't agree with us or they compete with us or they don't look or smell like us. Well, you get it. This old ditty is familiar to all of you. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. You know, I've been guilty in my own life of doing just acts of service. You know, there, there's a need, and, and maybe that need's an extended need, and we'll throw a little money at something, or we'll, we'll, we'll offer to help and, with the idea that, well, I've kind of done my part, rather than committing to come alongside in a no-matter-what, no-matter-how-many-times kind of way. Yes, I know we have to have boundaries, and, and, uh, but that rarely comes into play. I'll talk about this in a little while. John, in his book that we're, we're studying, makes lots of contrasts. He teaches that way. He, he, he contrasts light and darkness, death and life, truth and error, God and the devil, and here today, love and hate. When you study something... Sometimes it is to your benefit to study the opposite of it or in the case this case the converse of loving one another. When I was thinking about this well you know how, how does that apply I thought well if I wanted to know what peaceful really felt like I might get engaged in chaos like when all my grandchildren are there at the same time. Then I know what peaceful is like and John is is not necessarily telling us how to love one another, but he is telling us, don't do it like Cain. That's what he says. He tells us what not to look like. Well, you know, I have to admit to you that when I, I wasn't sure that Cain is the most relevant example to to us today. Because, you know the church. Uh, while we have our problems, it's uh, it's not exactly full of people who murder. And and some of the things that that he said about Cain. If you were in a workplace um, and you wanted a new employee to to job shadow somebody, you might say to them, "Now I want you to." I want you to follow Todd there. He's our best employee, and when he does things, do it like Todd does it. It would be almost never happen that you'd, you'd have a situation where you'd take that new intern, or, and you'd say, now see Clark, he's our worst employee. I want you to go with him, and everything he does, I don't want you to do it that way. <laughs> that... It makes no sense. So I can only conclude here that by using the example of Cain, of how the opposite of how not to love one another, that he has something else in mind. Well, we don't really have a lot that we know about Cain. What we do know comes from Genesis 4, and I'll just read a, You can turn there if you wish, but I just want to read a little bit because it's like we got just the facts But we didn't get the in between parts that might help us understand where John is coming from. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel. And his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to a to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer uh, provide you strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Not a lot of detail. But the question is, why should we not be like Cain? We didn't have much information about the growing up years, only the culmination of the downfall. John answers our question just in two brief ways. He says, Cain was of his, was of the evil one, and two, he murdered his brother. Now, John could have chosen a lot of Examples, I think, to illuminate the fact that we should not be like someone. Or he could have given examples of who we could have been like. Maybe, obviously, the Lord Jesus would be one. Clearly, murdering someone is pretty obvious. David did that too. The church is not filled with a plethora of murderers. So, is is this a relevant example? He went on to say that Cain was of the evil one. Well, what does he mean he was of the evil one? We can draw from the Genesis passage that Cain deceitfully lured his innocent brother by false pretense into the field, and with premeditation, he killed him. It was a, hey, bro, let's go play catch in the field. And then evil took over. When God asks him, where's your brother? He disrespectfully replies, And lies. And then that famous line, Am I my brother's keeper? Callous, indifference, disrespect. Can you imagine saying something like that to the the creator God? When God punishes him by cursing the ground, he tills and banishes him to wander. Cain is not only unrepentant, instead of asking forgiveness, he still only considers his own welfare and safety and stubborn reliance this all started when he got angry and jealous resentment of, his, of God's favor of what Abel, Abel's offering was. Abel tended the sheep and Cain worked the land. Nothing wrong with either one of those. There must be something in their growing up years that we don't understand. Let's not suppose for a minute that these boys were just to guess what pleases God. And we can assume that a gracious and a loving God made it clear what was a proper offering. Just like he has with you and I. Not a ha-ha, you guessed right, pow, you're you're, da- you're gone. That's not how God operates. But Cain was a man of shortcuts and disrespectful, partially o- obedient, and he gave, he gave God some of the fruits Instead of a proper sacrifice for his sin. For we know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's why Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. Abel gave his firstborn the best. These boys had been taught the right way, but Cain was chronically disobedient and had the spirit of entitlement. When John makes the statement that Cain was of the evil one, he actually meant that he belonged to the family of the wicked one in his actions. Lying, murder, deceit, hatred. He had fallen into the grip of the devil. No good thing could come of it. You see, since love originates and comes from only God, hate comes from the devil Someone has said, hate is really love perverted. The devil takes what is sacred and beautiful and perverts it and mutilates it. Psalm 97.10 tells us, let those who love the Lord hate evil. That's why Solomon in Ecclesiastes could say, there's a time for love and a time for hate because we're to hate evil. John tells us that Cain's works were so evil out of jealousy for his righteous brother. So you see, John chose this example of how not to love so we could see our own predispositions to being deceitful, being jealous, hateful, self-reliant, disobedient, indifferent, and having the spirit of entitlement. We shouldn't deceive ourselves. But for the grace of God, we are capable of some of these things. If we are to understand why John chose Cain, we only look to verse 15 that you see up there. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Yikes. I wonder how many people I have verbally murdered while on the freeways in Phoenix. Jesus warned us about this in Matthew 5. He said, he said, when you slander a brother, it's tantamount to murdering him. And John wanted us to realize that this statement in 15 is true, and we too are capable of all kinds of actions that we aren't proud of. It makes perfect sense to use Cain as an example here. Question. Question. If we're not walking in the overcoming grace of God, are we also capable of being influenced by the devil and being driven by our flesh? If you don't believe, it's possible. Look at the many examples we have of fallen believers, some even pastors today that have fallen in sin sexually or embezzlement or abusive behavior, jealousy, uncontrolled anger, even King David who loved Whose heart was after God, committed some of these things. Former president of Dallas Theological Seminary and biblical scholar John Walvert said, Hate, unfortunately, is not confined to unsaved people. A couple of weeks ago, a dear friend, when we were out to dinner, uh, lunch, Barb and I were conversing. We, I don't know why we were on this subject, we were talking about some of our most painful memories. And that much, this person said that much of the greatest emotional pain of her life had come at the hand of interactions through believers. Some of you in this room could say the same thing. Friends, that ought not to be. It's no surprise that there's a lot of canes out there in the world. And it's also no surprise, as John says that they would hate those who want to be righteous. Jesus warned us of that as well. Just like Cain was jealous of of Abel. It's not surprising that we see a turning against those that have trusted Christ in our culture today. Well, we've spent enough time on the negative side. Let's look at focusing on how we have passed from spiritual death to life in God. What's the secret, John tells us in this passage? We love our brothers and sisters. It almost sounds too simple, doesn't it? That that's the secret to winning the war that we're in. But John was the apostle of love, telling us not only to love those that love us, but to love those who don't. In reading here recently, I was reading about a trip that Mother Teresa had made to Venezuela and she called on a family down there that had a profoundly disabled child. And she asked the question of them, what's the child's name? And the mother said, we call him teacher of love. Because every day he teaches us A new way to love. And everything we do on his behalf is is an act of love up to God. The picture you see on the screen is a man by the name of Dr. John Perkins. He grew up in Mississippi. He is the founder of an organization that some of you may be familiar with Christian Community Development Association. It's a, it's a Christian organization that, that ministers to the inner city and to, the, to poverty. But it's not just throwing a little money at it. It's coming alongside, moving in, living, and, and making true service part of what, what they do. The son of a sharecropper, John Perkins, was born into Mississippi poverty. When he was 17 years old, his oldest brother was murdered by the town marshal. They moved to California, and John, he said, I'll never go back. But in 1957, he became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said, I want to take this back to Mendenhall, Mississippi, so I can share it with the people there, the love of God. So he returned to his boyhood home and began to share the gospel His outspoken support of leadership and leadership role got him in a lot of trouble. Imprisonments, beatings. I had the privilege of a couple of dinners with Dr. Perkins, and I'll never forget the story he told one night when he had gone back and he'd been put in prison for doing nothing wrong, nothing against the law, except they didn't like what he was saying. One of the deputies beat him nearly to death. In his cell he laid, and when he could finally bring himself to consciousness about what had happened, and he looked like he was going to live, he was filled with anger and hatred towards that that guard that had beaten him and the things that were going on. And then he remembered what his mother had taught him, That, son, love is so much more powerful than hate. You need to forgive. And he thought to himself and he prayed to God. He said, God, if I forgive, you heal me. If I forgive this man, will you please heal me? A couple of years ago, I went to a CCDA conference in Indianapolis. There were over a thousand people there from all over the world. Do you know who one of them was? That guard that beat him, and that guard got up there and said that he was one of the the greatest friends that he he now had, and he had come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. And they, they were arm-in-arm friends at this conference. Amazing. The power of love is so much greater than the power of hate. I learned a lot about unconditional love, too, going to AA meetings with my son. No pretense there. No one pretending they got it all together. Broken people loving broken people on some level we're all broken people aren't we i know i talk a lot about love and but how much am i really demonstrating it i'd like to close this morning with one more story we were involved in a class in a former church and and we were seeking learn how to learn to love one another so we put the names of all the class members in a in a hat singles and males and females and every week we'd pull out a name. And the class, the assignment of the class was that week, whosever name we pulled out, we were to do something special for them, something nice, something to, to show them that we love them. Write a note, have them over for coffee, bake a pineapple pie, <laughs> wash their car, watch their, their kids, whatever would make them feel special. Do you know that it wasn't long and that class doubled? And pretty soon it began to spill over into the rest of the congregation. Some of the class members were doing things for other people outside of the class. We had to move into new quarters even. It was exciting to see what was happening just because of that love that was being extended one to another. If you got a call from someone and it went, Like this, how would it impact you? Hello? Hello, friend. Don't be disturbed. I don't want to borrow any money. And I have no favors to ask. I just thought I would call and tell you that I think you're one of the nicest people I have known. You're an asset to your profession, your church, and your community. You're the kind of person I like to be with because every time I'm around you, I feel inspired and encouraged. I wish I could see you every day because you motivate me to be my best self, to love God more. That's all I wanted to say, friend. Look forward to seeing you soon. I know if I ever got a call like that, I'd assume they dialed the wrong number. (laughs) But seriously... If you're a friend or you need a friend, you're a mother, a father, or whoever you are, a call like that would make your day. The scripture Jesus taught us in John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This love must come from within a union of Christ. Loving must be as normal to us as living and breathing day after day until the end of this life. The highest church compliment I ever got from an unbeliever came when we were attending this little church in Perry. And while the church was far from perfect, this person had heard about something that the church family had done for another person within the church family who had fallen on hard times. She said to me, you folks at your church, you must love God. You sure do care for one another. I think that's wonderful. She knew who we served. Wow, Jesus was honored. Well, how will they know that I'm a Christian? By my love for all of you. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word, for the Apostle John and His sometimes difficult words that you gave him by inspiration. I pray that we'll we'll go from hearing how we ought to love one another into actions in how we ought to love one another. Thank you for the privilege of opening your word and being together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.